Hello and welcome to My Myasthenia, a podcast all about this crazy disease we call myasthenia gravis. I'm your host, Jesse, and I want to thank you all for tuning in. So let's go ahead and dive right in to today's episode of My Myasthenia. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of My Myasthenia. Today's episode is number eight, and we're going to be covering uh, my thymectomy experience on this episode. Now, I'm doing this now before we get too far out from my surgery because I wanted to kind of tell it in a long-form version and go over some of the things that I think people might be concerned about. So the purpose of this episode is if you are thinking about having the surgery done or if you've been told you're going to need it done and you're worried about it, I think that this could really help to alleviate some of the concerns you might be having and, you know, really go over some of that scary stuff that you might be worried about. It is going to be a little bit longer than normal because, again, I am telling my story. Now, if you listen to episode one, you've heard some of this information before. So if this isn't something that you want to hear kind of a retelling of or a longer version of, you're you're more than welcome to skip it. I I really am just recording these episodes so that when people want to go back and and listen to a particular topic, they can see, hey, this one's on thymectomy. I want to listen to that because of, you know, whatever reason. But I wanted to put this episode out. Now, I do also want to apologize because I am currently recording this on a Thursday. And this episode was supposed to be out two days ago. You know, I things get really busy. I'm sure everybody can understand. And to be honest, I'm still new at this. But when you have a, a I guess, condition that makes it difficult to speak for long periods of time, sometimes that makes it hard to sit down and record a full podcast. But not only that, we did do some traveling this weekend and we didn't get back until late on Monday evening and it just things snowballed from there. So, you know, again, I apologize for this one being late. If you're listening to this one in the future, you probably had no idea, but I'm going to do my best to get these out on time moving forward now that things are going to slow down just a little bit. But yeah, I wanted to just uh, say that real quick. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and uh, get started. Okay, so today I wanted to go over my thymectomy experience with all of you. Now, I know that I shared some of this in episode one, but I kind of went through it very quickly. And I did get a lot of people who reached out to me and said that they were interested in hearing more of a long form version of what my experience was. And the number of people I've had reach out mainly were saying that because they were planning their own surgeries as well. So hopefully in going through my process with this experience, then that will put your mind at ease. But it also may, you know, not have been something that you knew about beforehand. So maybe this thymectomy process is something that you would now be interested in now that you know kind of how it works. So hopefully by me sharing my long version of my experience, that will help you to kind of put your mind at ease. Now, it wasn't all painless and it wasn't all stress-free. 
but it wasn't that big of a deal at the end of the day when I was thinking about it going into it. I was a lot more worried about it than I probably should have been. So I wanted to talk about it and, you know, and, and share that with you. Now, before I get into it, I wanted to kind of explain that there are almost two types of thymectomy surgeries, meaning the first is that you just have your thymus and the neurologist or whoever has recommended that they remove your thymus to help out with your MG symptoms. So this is something that can really be done at any time. Now there is research that shows that within the first, you know, however long after your onset of symptoms for MG, you know, the sooner you get this surgery done, it, it I believe has been proven to be more effective than waiting for years and then getting it done. But I do believe the general consensus is that having a thymectomy more often than not will help your MG symptoms. I'm sure there are exceptions, but from, from what I understand, it, it can only be helpful for most people. Now, there is another version where you have a thymoma, and this is where they actually discover a mass growing on your thymus. And that is what I had. Now, because mine was so large and because of the severity of my symptoms, they wanted my surgery to be done essentially immediately. And they were concerned about my symptoms. So we'll talk about what happened from that. But those are kind of the two parts is if you, if you don't have a thymoma, which is a, again, the tumor, then the, the thymectomy is really something that can be scheduled out to be done at any time. You can talk about it with your doctor. If you have a thymoma, chances are the surgery is inevitable. So, you know, again, keep that in mind. If they discover thymoma on one of your CT scans, chances are you're, you're going to be in getting the surgery at some point, unless they're not concerned about it, then maybe they'll decide to leave it. But, you know, just keep in mind those are the two. And I had the less optional version. So let me get into it starting from kind of the beginning. Again, a lot of this could be a repeat of what you may have already heard of my surgery, but I'm going to go into more detail. So again, so this all started for me one night when I was sitting at home and my eyelids started drooping. I didn't have any other symptoms at the time. I had never really noticed any symptoms of MG. This was the first time I noticed. So we went to the hospital. We wanted them to rule out things like a stroke and, and, and blood clots and those sort of things, they didn't really find anything. They ran an x-ray, they ran an MRI, and they did a CT angiogram of my head. So those were the three things that they did, and they didn't find anything. Uh, I did tell them at the time that I had had a cough for about six to eight, nine months, something like that. And, you know, again, they, they didn't really find anything. They didn't seem too concerned. But what they did do was they ruled out all the scary stuff. And one of the neurologists there must have seen something that, you know, r rang a bell, I guess. And he referred me to a, a neurological ophthalmologist. And ultimately, it was that doctor that recognized the symptoms of MG because they had started to progress into other symptoms at that point and he ordered a CT scan. Ultimately, that CT scan is what discovered my thymoma. So this is where the thymoma 
part of this story comes into play. So I received my results first. I got an email from, uh, I went to Simon Med to get my CT scan done, and I got an email from Simon Med saying the results were in. So I went in and looked, and I did know at that moment that they had discovered the the mass. They didn't call it a thymoma, but they said it was suspected based on the location to be one of a, a few different types of masses, of course, one being a thymoma, which is what it was. So I called my neurologist and he had me basically come back the next day to go over those results. During that appointment, he then said, yes, you have a thymoma. We're going to want to see what the surgeon says, but most likely the the surgery is going to be inevitable. So he actually referred me to a very an incredible thoracic surgeon at a place called the Norton Thoracic Institute. Again, I'm here in Arizona. This was a place in Chandler where they did uh, surgeries in the thoracic cavity. So this surgeon was basically, he knew all about these types of surgeries. He knew all about MG and he was, he was incredible. But so basically he referred me to them. I called them that same day and they had me come in to do my consult with the surgeon. I believe it was two days later. So, you know, at that point I had only had my results uh, knowing I had the thymoma for about two or three days. But when I met with the surgeon, you know, at the consult, I had the opportunity to ask him any questions that I could think of. My fiance, my mom came with me. You know, we all wanted to make sure we knew the plan, that I wasn't leaving out any questions. And he was incredibly helpful. He went over from beginning to end the entire process. He told me, you know, using the CT scans and, and the results and everything, he told me, you know, it was about a six centimeter thymoma. So based on that information, which we later found out was wrong, or at least it had changed by the time I got to my surgery, you know, they were planning on just doing a robotic surgery using a machine called the Da Vinci machine. You can look those up on YouTube. It's fascinating. But, you know, they, they were planning on doing three small incisions on my left side. He said the recovery would be extremely minimal. I'd be up and walking the same day. If it wasn't for the MG, I probably would have been discharged within the first, you know, 24 to 48 hours after the surgery. But again, we'll get into that. So, well, actually, let's get into that right now. Basically, he told me because of the severity of my symptoms, he wanted me to do five days of what's called plasmapheresis. And that would be before the surgery. And then after the surgery, we'd have to kind of play it by ear. But the neurologist ultimately recommended that I did two additional days of the plasmapheresis after the surgery. And the whole point of that was to keep me safe, to minimize my MG symptoms, and to keep me out of a myasthenic crisis. So ultimately, you know, I was in the hospital for, I think, 11 days. But, you know, most of that was due to my own condition. That would not be very typical unless you were also getting your surgery uh, you know, because of the severity of your symptoms, I guess. But for me, mine was mainly doing this plasmapheresis because I was having, my symptoms basically went from none to extreme within a matter of two weeks. So they were very concerned um, that if that progressed into the surgery, I could go into a crisis. So he explained that whole process to me. You know, we also went over the fact that the robotic surgery is the the better of the two options. The other would have been the sternectomy, which is where they basically go in through your sternum. They do have to 
break it, crack it, essentially, you end up with a very large scar down the center of your chest. And then in order to allow that sternum to heal, they actually tie it back together, I believe, using this like, you know, metal wire. And there are potential side effects down the road because of that surgery. So the robotic da Vinci surgery is a much less invasive option. So we were very grateful that he felt that he was going to be able to do that for my surgery. I can't speak to the process of a sternectomy, the recovery. All I know is that the robotic surgery for me was a very easy recovery, and we'll get into that. So basically he told me he had an opening about the following week. So this was a Thursday, and he had an opening the following Thursday for the surgery. So because I was going to be doing the five days of plasmapheresis, he wanted me into the hospital essentially the next day. And so, you know, I did something that apparently is pretty unique. And I actually packed a bag for the hospital, my own bag for the hospital, which again, I guess is not very common. And that next day they called me, they basically said, okay, your room is ready. You can come and check into the room, which the the security guard at the front desk was very confused about. Again, apparently most people don't do that. But I walked myself up, you know, into the room. The nurse knew who I was. She knew I was coming. And she basically went, you know, explained what was going to happen. She was going to get me basically checked in, go over everything. And within, a, you know, an hour or so, I had my IV in, I had, you know, I didn't change into a hospital gown yet. She said I didn't need to, but, you know, I was basically ready to go. And that evening, all I had to do was go to sleep. So, you know, I, I basically got checked in, comfortable in the room. And, you know, that was basically it for the first day. This The next day, they basically woke me up first thing in the morning. I think it was like six o'clock in the morning. And they were taking me down to interventional radiology, which is IR. And the purpose of that was to have the, the plasmapheresis catheter put in. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know what it was. Uh, but as it turns out, it was actually my least favorite part of the entire 11-day process. It was not a very fun experience, but I do think we should talk about it because if you're going to be getting plasmapheresis, you'll probably have this put in. So, you know, that basically the, the plasmapheresis, it's a, it's a catheter that goes in, I believe it was just above or either above or below my right collarbone. So it's kind of on your chest. And what it does is it gives the dialysis nurse in the hospital access to a thicker IV. The good thing about that catheter is it had a third port. I forget what they called it, but it had a third line where all of my lab draws, all the blood draws that they did for the entire 11 days came from that catheter. So from that point forward, I didn't have any needles that got stuck into my arm, except for during the actual surgery, they put one in, but I don't remember that. So the whole time I was there, I only had two needle sticks, I guess, versus the, you know, a couple hundred I probably would have had if I didn't, because they took maybe seven or eight or nine tubes of blood per day. So anyway, so that was the good thing about the port, but I'll, I'll move on. So basically what happened was they took you down in your hospital bed down to IR. Then they wheeled you into the operating room. It is a surgery. And they basically explain what's going to happen. 
So you move yourself onto the operating room table, which freaked me out then, and it freaked me out during the actual surgery, but you, you move on to the operating table and they basically have you lay down and they get all these x-ray machines set up. They, they, you know, move everything over top of you and they then explain to you what's going to happen. They say, we're going to numb the area. You're going to feel a little bit of pain. And it did feel like a, a little bit more than a little bit of pain, but they basically go in and they numb it from the outside in, which was kind of odd using a really big needle. But so then they basically tell you they're going to put a sheet over your head. You're going to turn your head to the left and you're going to try not to, you know, you're going to focus on really slow breathing. And again, this was hard for me because at the time I had had a chronic cough for nine months or so. I couldn't take a deep breath. I couldn't breathe very well. I was coughing a lot. So I was worried about that process. It ended up being, it ended up being fine. But, you know, they basically, they basically tell you, breathe very slow. You're going to feel a lot of pressure, but it's not going to hurt. And honestly, after they did numb the area, it didn't hurt at all. So it was just that, you know, the local anesthetic that they used that that was the only part that you felt the pain. But again, that's pretty typical of any sort of, you know, if you've had a dental procedure, it was the same, same thing. You feel the the pain as they numb it and then it goes away. So, you know, while they're doing that surgery, it's pretty uncomfortable. They're, they're putting the catheter in, but all in all, the whole process was only about 10 minutes. They, they kind of installed it with uh, a few stitches and they put a piece of gauze on top and then some tape to hold everything in place. And then you're done. There's no pain afterwards, nothing. It's just now you have this I called them my danglies. I don't know if I should even say that, but I, that's what I called them. I had them, you know, these kinds of things that I would just tuck into my shirt. You didn't even know it was there until they needed to do lab work. You could kind of pull the, the tube, you know, the tubes out and they could get to anything they needed. So that was that first morning. Again, that was probably the worst part of the whole experience for me because you were awake for everything. Okay. So this was basically all day one. And after that, you know, I, I started my first round of the five of the plasmapheresis. So, you know, again, we've talked about plasmapheresis before and some of the benefits. It's basically what they call an oil change for your blood. So they're going to take you, they took me into the dialysis center and it's very similar to dialysis I, from my understanding, but they basically take my blood out and it's, I believe it was two liters which if I'm not mistaken, is almost the entire 100% volume of blood that you have. So they're basically taking all of your blood out. They, they filter out the plasma in a centrifuge so that it spins really fast, which you don't see this, but it spins really fast, takes the plasma out, takes the red blood cells out, and then it combines it with either an artificial plasma, which is called albumin, or a donor plasma, which is called FFP, and then it goes back into your system. The purpose of that is to basically remove the bad antibodies from your system. And we've talked all about the antibodies, so we don't need to talk about it again, but that's basically the reason why. So they do that to remove those antibodies and therefore it should remove the effects of the myasthenia gravis that your body is experiencing. So it is kind of a long process. So for me, it was about two or three hours every day. They did, I guess, go a little bit quicker for me. But again, I'm 
I'm not, I'm not that heavy, but it is a weight-based process. So I guess depending on your weight will determine how much they need to transfer every day and then how long it takes. So uh, for me, it was about two or three hours. Um, I did have a reaction to the plasmapheresis, which I talked about in the first episode, but that was basically an a um, allergic reaction to the donor plasma. So that was no fun, but they basically just the rest of the time stuck to the albumin and I was fine. So, you know, for the next four days, it was basically just waiting around for the plasmapheresis, which unfortunately was at the very end of the day, sometimes 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. So it was long days, you know, waiting around is never fun in the hospital, but you know, uh, hey, we made it through it no big deal. And this was all before the surgery. After the surgery went so quick, but before you're just nervous, right? So everything takes longer, especially when you're in the hospital. And really I wasn't, I wasn't there because I was sick. So nobody was really checking in on me aside from the mandatory things they had to do. So again, it was just a lot of waiting around, but, but every day, you know, my surgeon would come in on check on me and make sure that the symptoms were under control that I was on the right path for the surgery. So, you know, that was nice. And as we got closer, you know, he basically started to give me the instructions that would be relevant for the surgery, how to prepare and everything. So I guess as that day came, you know, the night before the surgery was when we started most of the prep work. So it wasn't too hard. There wasn't anything crazy, but they told me I needed to to take basically three showers or wash myself three times before the surgery. So the first one was the night before they give you this special soap. And I took a full shower for this. It wasn't that big of a deal. It doesn't feel, you know, the soap doesn't feel any different. It's just this special hospital grade soap. And then they basically told me nothing to eat or drink after midnight, which I kind of expected. I did have to take some medicine. So they said, you know, small sips to take the pills, but other than that, nothing. And, you know, that night I actually slept pretty good until they woke me up. I want to say it was about four o'clock in the morning, which I, again, I expected. And that one was to basically take the second shower. So again, I took another full shower for this one. And ironically, I had already been in the hospital for five days, but this was the first time I put on a hospital gown. I basically, I didn't have any need to wear the hospital gowns up until this point. But they did say, okay, this is where you have to change into it. We're going to get you ready. And that was, you know, kind of 4 a.m. I was slated for the first surgery time slot of the day, at least in that operating room with with my surgeon. So this was all happening early morning. But, you know, again, I took my first shower, I guess, at like 4 a.m. And then they told me, okay, the next one I had to use these special wipes that were, I think, the same as the soap, but... It was, you know, they didn't want me to get wet. So they used these wipes. And then almost immediately after the operating nurse came through and he basically said, okay, I'm going to take you into the waiting room. So he disconnected me from the mobile EKG and he hooked me up to this big machine that sat on the bed. And then he wheeled us into the operating waiting room. And so it all, it all went pretty quick from here. My family was actually able to come with me. So at the time it was my uh, fiance and my mom who was there. So they had come up early that morning and, and were there with me. So they actually walked into the, the waiting room with me, which was nice. But while we were there, I, there was probably about 10 or so people that came in and, you know, met with me. They were getting all sorts of info 
on me, like registration stuff. And then we met with basically everybody who was going to be in the room during the surgery. And they all came both individually and then together. So the, you know, the notable ones were the operating room nurses. They basically tell, told me what their role was going to be to help the surgeon the anesthesiologist who came by and asks you a whole bunch of questions about whether you've ever had anesthesia, you know, that kind of thing. If you've had a reaction, I did tell him that when I had my wisdom teeth out, as they were putting me to sleep, I felt really nauseous. So he said he would give me something for that, you know, and basically went over that whole process. And then, of course, the surgeon came by, talked to me individually, explained the process again, and then he kind of left for a few minutes. And then they all, you know, basically came back together and they went over the game plan, I guess, as a team in front of me and in front of my family. And then they said, okay, we're ready to go. And they started moving my bed. I, I remember them telling my family members to go into the waiting room. They were told they could go in the hospital room too, but they went into the waiting room and, and waited there. But for me, they were basically, they basically wheeled me into, you know, through all the hallways and I got to see all the back room stuff, which was interesting and then basically straight into the operating room so for me they you know i should say they they expected this surgery to be about two hours so that was kind of what we were expecting going into it so anyway this part was all fascinating to me because i was just looking around at everything in this room i mean you i've grown up watching shows where you know you see the surgery the, the operating rooms and you see all this stuff happen but to actually see it in person was was fascinating to me it was there's so much stuff there and and it never scared me i i was never scared during this whole process which was amazing to me i figured that would have made me nervous but honestly i was just kind of jaw dropped at everything you know um, it, i just thought it was really cool but anyway so the, the the part where it did become real was same thing where they did the the catheter they put your bed right up next to the operating room table and they say okay you're going to put yourself onto the operating room. And that is where it started to get a little bit real for me, you know, because at that point I would have expected to be asleep. But, you know, to actually put yourself on the operating room table is kind of a surreal experience, but it wasn't too bad. They were talking to me the whole time. You know, it, it was, it, you know, there's just a lot going on around you. You're trying to, you're trying to listen to everything. And there's a lot of people giving you instructions and they're asking you your name on the intercom. and that kind of thing. So, you know, you're just doing your best to to be a good patient, I guess, at that point. But the only real person that I was talking to um, at that point was the anesthesiologist. He told me he was going to give me the medication to help me with the nausea, that it was going to make me a little lightheaded. And it did. And I told him, I said, I feel like I, I feel a little bit nauseous. And he laughed and he said, yep, unfortunately, the, the anti-nausea medicine makes you feel a little nauseous. But that passed and it, it passed within a few seconds and you know they basically you know I'm on the operating room table they basically got my arms into position you know and I was sitting in place for a minute or so and then the the anesthesiologist said okay it's gonna feel like you're going to sleep now and that's the last thing I remember I don't even remember the feeling of falling asleep I just remember him telling me it's gonna feel like you're falling asleep and literally the very next moment that I remember is that where my eyes were closed and I heard a new nurse that I'd never heard before say, Jesse, you're in the recovery room. And then a few minutes, moments later, I guess I, my eyes opened up and 
sure enough, I was in a different place. I was in the, the recovery room. And I, I remember being pretty coherent at that point because in my mind, I was saying, well, I know she's not going to tell me how the surgery went, but if I ask her what time it is, then I'll know how long the surgery was. And that'll kind of give me an indication of how well it went. So the fact that I was going through that all in my mind immediately after coming out of surgery, you know, was pretty amazing to me. I guess I didn't have that loopiness or anything like that. I was immediately thinking, how do I get this nurse to tell me how good the surgery was? Because I know she's not going to tell me. And she told me it was about 1230, which meant that the surgery was about three and a half hours. So again, it, they expected it to be two. So I kind of my mind already started going, okay, so something must have, something must have happened where it didn't go quite as planned. So I'm, you know, sitting there thinking, okay, what, you know, is it okay? I'm kind of looking around, but of course I can't see anything. So luckily I didn't have to wait too long. The surgeon came out just a couple minutes later. I had pro probably only been awake for five minutes at that point when he came by. But anyway, it turns out that again, they thought that the thymoma was going to be about six centimeters. Turns out it was about closer to nine, which is about the size of a softball, which is the bigger between a baseball and a softball. A softball is bigger. Uh, so it was about nine centimeters, which is pretty big. And as it turns out, the amount of the total amount of the, the I guess, tissue that they removed was about 22 centimeters, which is all the extra stuff that they take out with it. So 22 centimeters long and then the nine centimeter thymoma meant that his original plan, again, was the three small incisions on the left side. They ended up having to do an additional two incisions on the right side and then a large incision, I should say, a, you know, a larger incision, maybe four or five centimeters, you know, between two of my ribs kind of below my, my left, uh, you know, pec muscle kind of thing. So that's where they took, ended up taking it out of was between the two ribs. And because of that, he said, you know, yes, there were more incisions. It means that the surgery or the recovery is going to be a little bit more than what we expected, but it was still the robotic surgery. They didn't have to go through the, you know, sternectomy, which was good. They did have some weird complication where one of the incisions like swelled up really bad and they had to like tape it down. And I think that's why to this day I still have some numbness on that side. It was probably due to whatever happened in that specific incision, but it was probably because they were trying to work at it to get to it. And ultimately they decided they needed to come in from a different angle. So they were probably pushing it a little bit too hard and that's why that happened. But ultimately he said, you know, other than all that, you know, I, my body handled the surgery really well. He still thought that my recovery was going to be essentially nothing. And, uh, you know, I had a drainage tube that was normal that was going to come out probably the next day. But other than that, you know, he said he was very happy with everything. And, you know, that was that was it. He left. And, you know, a few minutes later, they brought me back into my room where my family was waiting and I was able to have a full conversation with them. They said I looked good. They took pictures of me and looking back, I looked tired, but I didn't you know, I looked fine. So, you know, so that was that. That was the actual surgery part. As far as recovery, they basically had me out of my bed within that first hour, or at least the first hour of me getting back into the room. And that part irritated the heck out of me because they basically came by with a cup full of pills 
you know, pain meds, all sorts of other things that they needed me to start taking and my normal medications that I had missed because I was in the surgery, there was probably a dozen or so pills that they wanted me to swallow. And so they said, you got to get out of bed. You got to sit in this chair. And I remember being so mad at that. I was like, you can't give me, you can't give me a couple hours to rest or something. But, you know, they got me up and moving and I was shocked that I was able to get up and move. And I, at that point, I wasn't in any pain. I was just annoyed. During that time, you know, they basically want you to cough as much as you can, which is not something that you want to do, but it helps to drain everything out. So my, I was coughing because of the surgery. I wasn't sure if I was coughing because of the chronic cough that I had had or because of the surgery. But as it turns out, my cough disappeared from that. So I was at that point only coughing from the surgery, but I just didn't know it at the time. But that wasn't very pleasant. But, you know, by basically by the end of the day, they had me getting up, getting out of bed. I was walking around. There was very little pain again, aside from that coughing. But the worst pain that I felt during the whole process was the very next morning. And the reason is because they weren't giving me any IV pain medications. So when I went to sleep, they gave me my last pain pill, I don't know, probably 10 o'clock at night. And then I didn't have anything overnight. So when I woke up, there was no pain meds in my system. I, you know, I basically had to wake up and I was on nothing. During the night, I had kind of slid down in the bed because they have you sleeping at an incline after the surgery. It's called the thoracic precautions. So they had me on an incline and I kind of slid down as I'm sure you can imagine what that looks like. And so when I woke up, I tried to, to pick myself up in the bed and slide further up. And the pain was, I'm going to be honest with you, it was excruciating. I pushed the call light button for the nurse to come in and he comes in and I basically say, I can't move. I'm in so much pain. I need pain meds and I need you to get me out of this position because I can't, I can't get out of this position. So he helped me up. He got me my pain meds. And from that point on, it was fine. I, he basically knew, okay, we're going to wake you up in the middle of the night and give you your pain meds this following night. And that was basically all I needed. So other than that, it, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it was, it w was not too bad. So that same day, the day that I kind of, the day after the surgery, they did my plasmapheresis. And that same day, they also removed the chest tube and that chest tube alleviated so much discomfort. Once they got that out, there was basically no more pain. The coughing, you were coughing still, but nothing was coming out. So they didn't make you cough. So at that point, I could suppress it if I needed to and that kind of thing. And, you know, that was basically, that was basically it. The neurologist had ordered two more days of plasmapheresis. So the day after the surgery was one, the day following that was the second day. And that was it. That was all I had to do. And, you know, it was basically, I've got two days of plasmapheresis. Then I went to sleep that second night. That that third day after the surgery, the third morning, all of my doctors came by, the surgeon came by, they checked on you, they made sure you'd have, it's not glamorous, but they made sure you've had your bowel movements and all that kind of thing. And once all the doctors had come by and cleared you, they basically gave me my discharge paperwork a few hours later and said, you're free to go, go home, continue to recover. And I had a follow-up with my surgeon in two weeks. I was actually traveling the end of that week. And so I had an appointment with my surgeon for the end of that week. 
to clear me to travel essentially which which he did but that was it i basically went home they gave me some pain meds which i only had to take for a few days just to be safe and you know at that point i i went home so i mentioned that after i went home there were some complications and this actually came during a trip that i had taken later that week or it was about a week after the surgery and in order to do that, I had made an appointment with the surgeon to get cleared to travel. And he said it shouldn't have been an issue. You know, he's more than confident that a week out from the surgery, I would have been fine. It really was based on my MG symptoms at that point. But, you know, I met with the surgeon. I had some x-rays done. They did some lab work that was all routine anyway. And everything checked out. So as far as we were concerned, it appeared that I was going to be okay to travel. So, you know, I got on the plane, everything was okay, but it wasn't very long into the trip where my MG symptoms started to get really bad. And we weren't sure why this was necessarily, if it was, you know, related to the surgery or anything like that. But we knew that my MG symptoms were pretty severe before the surgery so it and to be honest immediately after the surgery they weren't that bad but all of the stress and everything from travel seemed to make it worse and on one of the days I woke up with some really severe chest pain and this chest pain I felt on of course my left side I felt it in my arm I felt it in my jaw I couldn't breathe it was extremely severe pain. I mean, I, if I had to put a number on it, I was saying 10 out of 10. I've never felt anything like that before. And to be honest, I had just come out of a surgery and that made the pain from the surgery feel like nothing. So of course, you know, me being me, I, I pushed off the first kind of wave of this pain because it wasn't as severe when I first felt it. It did wake me up from my sleep. But I thought it was just maybe I was laying wrong and I kind of tweaked something from the surgery. So I took the pain pills and, you know, I, I kind of waited it out for a little bit and it did start to go away. So I said, okay, no big deal. But when I woke back up and it started to happen the second day, even more severe, and it was, it was getting worse and worse and worse, then I said, okay, something is seriously wrong. I mean, in my mind at that point, I was genuinely thinking I was having a heart attack. And of course, everybody else was as well. So, you know, of course, I, I was, for the most part, stable at that point. I, I knew enough about what was going on to say, I know that I'm not crashing. So I know that I have some time to get to the hospital. So I did have my fiance drive me into the hospital and... You know, of course, they did their initial evaluation. They hook you up to an EKG. They say, okay, you're not having a heart attack, but what the heck is going on? So, of course, they ran an x-ray, a CT scan. I'm not sure if they did an MRI on that particular uh, time at the hospital, but they, they pretty quickly came down with a diagnosis. And, of course, they said it was related to the surgery, but the, you know, the answer was that essentially I was, you know, I was showing symptoms of pericarditis, which is where the pericardium, the lining around your heart becomes inflamed. And this is due to most likely swelling in the area around my heart from the surgery, but also 
when they remove the thymus, sometimes they have to, you know, cut into the pericardium. Sometimes they get very close. They remove things from the pericardium. So they're in that area. And this type of swelling is, I guess, extremely common. Now, you know, I'll talk about what my surgeon said, but this is going out of order a little bit. He said that it's it's extremely common to have pericarditis after a thoracic surgery. But in his experience, that usually happens while the patient is still recovering in the hospital. So the fact that I was discharged from the hospital, went almost an entire week, was able to travel for multiple days, do a lot of um, exercise and walking around. But then the pericarditis uh, showed up, he said is extremely rare. So he said, yes, that type of a side effect is common, but usually, again, it would happen in the hospital and the patient would be treated with no issues. So, you know, that was my experience was that I did have this very common side effect, but that side effect came, I guess, in an uncommon way. But anyway, so while I was at the hospital, they gave me two different types of medications once they knew what it was, uh, IV pain meds, and it went away immediately. The pain did kind of come back one more time that evening, so they gave me a second dose of the pain meds. And after that, it was it was fine. I, I never felt that pain again. I'm, again, three or four months out and still nothing. So, you know, that was basically, and for the record, when they discharged me from the hospital, they basically said, your only thing that you're going to be sent home with is ibuprofen. You're going to take ibuprofen for two weeks. I don't even think I did that. I, you know, I took it for the first couple of days until I knew I was in the clear. And then I said, okay, well, if the pain comes back, I know how to manage it. And, and that was that. So that was basically it. That was, that was the extent of my recovery because from that point forward, the surgery was basically done. I was fully recovered. I had no more issues from it. And, and that was that. So, you know, I'll wrap it up here. That was basically, that was my surgery. I wanted to mention that there were, I've noticed two benefits so far after the surgery. And the first, and I think the most important one for me was that, you know, again, I've mentioned it, but I had a cough for like six months at that point, really severe, but it, it had kind of started almost at that point for, for nine months or so. So that cough had been going on for so long. And there was a period of time where I literally couldn't speak because I didn't have the lung capacity to, to form words without, you know, having some sort of a cough drop or some sort of menthol or drinking tea nonstop. I mean, I went out and bought like a $200 electric, you know, coffee mug thing because I couldn't, I literally couldn't speak if I didn't have a hot beverage to kind of cool my throat down and and we didn't know why it it was so intrusive that it it had become something where i couldn't i couldn't socialize with people it was horrible and it it was just getting worse and worse and worse but when i met with the you know basically i went to urgent care i went to an asthma doctor i went to a pulmonologist i went to cardiology i went i went everywhere to try to figure out what this cough was and nobody could diagnose it. My neurologist, when I when he diagnosed me with MG, said it's unrelated. The surgeon who was removing my thymoma, who knew how large this thymoma was, knew the location of it, said it was completely unrelated. And I said there was absolutely no way. It has to be that. 
because I couldn't I couldn't take a full breath. I, I literally couldn't breathe in. It felt like there was something blocking it. And the surgeon said, there's no way. He said it's completely run unrelated to the extent that he had them test the, the thymoma for different sort of bacterial diseases and viruses and did this like two month long test on it where basically would run these cultures and see if anything grew and would update me and say nothing's grown on these cultures. He was convinced that it wasn't, it wasn't the thymoma, it was something growing in that area. You know, he did culture swaps and stuff. Anyway, the, the point of all me telling you this is that after the surgery, after all of the inflammation had healed and everything, my cough has disappeared completely and I can take full breaths again. Now I still can't do cardio really because of the MG, but my cough is gone. And so that was something that I am so thrilled about. And I guess the reason why I'm, I'm mentioning this is because it, in my opinion, it's a symptom that over a dozen doctors were not able to diagnose that, that it turns out it was this thymoma. And I had the cough before I had any MG symptoms. So I guess if you're listening to this and you have a chronic cough and they haven't done any sort of CT scans, you have them do the CT scan. It's entirely possible. Or if you know somebody or, you know, whatever. But anyway, so that was the first kind of, in my opinion, it wasn't unexpected, but to all the doctors, it was, you know, that, that this cough would go away. The second, however, and I actually, this could be even more significant was that I have had my entire life, I have had chronic migraines. I think since I've been like 10 years old or something, which I'm 27, almost 28. So almost my entire life so far, I have had these migraines that that have prohibited me from doing so many things. Like I had to stop doing baseball. I had to stop playing, you know, the drums or something because they were too loud and they gave me migraines. I mean, they, they basically have run my whole life. And since the surgery, again, we're only three or four months out. I mean, I used to get, it was chronic. So more than 16 days of the month, I, I was having a full-blown migraine and over half of those I would get sick from. But since this surgery, I have had two and I can completely blame those two that I did end up getting on myself. You know, I basically overdid it, stayed out in the sun all day, didn't drink any water, didn't drink any food, was doing way too much activity, didn't sleep well the night before, you know, so I, I basically know exactly why I got those two migraines and I probably would have gotten them even if I didn't suffer from chronic migraines. But the fact that those have almost completely resolved themselves, you know, after the surgery, again, I don't know if it has to do with the surgery or any of the treatments I'm receiving, but a combination of something that we're doing has almost completely resolved those migraines. And I think that is huge. So other than that, so far, I'm not seeing any real reduction in symptoms from the surgery. There have been a couple times where I've either forgotten to take my Mestinon or the Mestinon has gone bad without me realizing it. And my symptoms come so full force and they knock me down and it gets scary. So I don't think the surgery has helped me yet, but the fact that I'm seeing those benefits, I think is, is amazing. So, you know, that's going to go ahead and wrap up my summary here of my thymectomy. I know this episode is a bit longer than normal, but this was my story. I'm not going to tell this story again. 
but I did want to tell it before I forgot a lot of the details. So again, I, I mentioned it in the beginning, but I did, I tried to cover it as in as much detail as was necessary without going in too much about any particular topic. But if there is a part, and I know that for some people hearing more about one particular thing they're nervous about could help. So if there's a part that you're nervous about that you say, hey, I'm really worried about this, or, you know, I've got my surgery in a month, and can you tell me more about what this was like for you? Even if it's like the food or or what do you bring or, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, if no matter what it is, I'm an open book. Please feel free to reach out to me and I will I will go into more detail about anything that you might be worried about. That was kind of the point of this episode. But again, I, I don't know what every single person is going to be scared of. So I can all I can say is looking back at the situation or, or the, the surgery as a whole, it wasn't nearly as scary as you might expect it to be. It, and I can really attribute almost all of that to how competent my surgeon and his team was. He was absolutely incredible and he put my mind at ease every single day. And so I, I really have him to thank for that. But all in all, I, you know, it, it wasn't a very scary situation. So if, if it's something you're considering, but you're worried about it, go for it. It, it really, all it can do is help you. And I, I personally think that it is something that is a really amazing thing that we have the opportunity to do to help out with our disease. So you really should, if you have that opportunity, I think you should take it. So I'm going to go ahead and just wrap up straight from here, the episode. Again, I want to thank you all for listening and tuning in. I hope this episode was helpful for you. Again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, things have been a little bit chaotic for me. I'm trying to get the episodes out on Tuesday. Obviously, this one was a little late. If you're listening in the future, probably didn't even notice, but, you know, hopefully we can get these out on time moving forward. And, you know, it's just a little hard to juggle MG and then life and then, you know, getting something like this out every week. So I'm doing my best and hopefully you guys uh, understand that. I will have another episode out next week regardless. But, you know, again, I want to thank you all for listening. You know, have a wonderful week. Stay safe out there. This heat is brutal, but hopefully you're getting a little bit of rain where you are like we are right now. So yeah, enjoy your week and we will see you on the next episode.